You're listening to a message from Victory Christian Center in Farmer City, Illinois. For more information on Victory, please contact us at vccfarmercity.org. Well, good morning. We started a new series last week. I kind of want to jump back into what we started. Um, and I'm going to do a slight review just to kind of get us going again. We started in 1 Samuel chapter 2 last week. I won't re-preach re- the whole thing, just the real short version is we started off looking at Eli, and uh, he was the head priest at the temple in Shiloh, and under him were two of his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, who worked as priests at the temple. And Scripture tells us that his sons... Um, were corrupt, and they did not know God, and their corruption extended far enough that it was corrupting the whole temple to the degree that the Israelites or the Jews that lived in that region didn't even want to go to the temple anymore. They didn't want to go to church. They didn't want to take their offerings to the Lord because of all the corruption that was going on in the Lord's house. And it was not sitting well with our Heavenly Father. And so we went to to talk about that. One of the biggest problems for Eli is that he had the authority to deal with it, but he chose not to. He would verbally chastise his son, but his bark had no bite, and he did nothing about it, and the corruption stayed. And so the day came when he got called on the carpet, can I say with his boss, um, in 1 Samuel 2, verse 29, this is God speaking to Eli. says, Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling place, and honor your sons more than me, to make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people? <laughs> it's just really standing out to me this morning how many times he said, My. He said, you're kicking at my sacrifice, my offering, in my dwelling place. I think he's kind of reminding Eli um, whose place this is and uh, what's really going on. Verse 30, therefore the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor and those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. That's what we're building this series on. We're talking about honor. And uh, the first thing I do want to point out, I kind of mentioned this last week. I want to mention it again. We might trip over the word despise, um, primarily because we use it today in modern vernacular differently than the Bible uses this word, um, most likely differently than we did 400 years ago when the uh, King James translation came out and was it 16 was it 1611 it's the early 1600s um, used a few English words different back then than we do today um, I looked up that word despise in a Merriam-Webster's dictionary a today's modern version and our culture today that word means to dislike it means something or someone that you dislike very much You despise it, or you despise them. You dislike them. That's not how the Bible uses the word, and that's not what this Hebrew word means. Um, According to the Bible dictionary, I looked it up in the Complete Word Study Dictionary, 
Um, that word despise means to disrespect. It means not treating something with proper respect. And not, now read it in context. That makes sense. God is saying, those who honor me, I will honor. Those who disrespect me, I will disrespect. And that makes perfect sense. And that's what that verse is telling us. Um, to quote one theologian I, I was reading after, they said, for us to understand honor, we must begin with this primary fact. The essence of honor is completely sourced in the personality and the character of God. We can never understand honor apart from God. We must begin with Him. Honor, like love, is an attribute of God. Uh, he is honor personified. And I like that. That's absolutely true. God is honor personified, just as we often say he is love personified. The Bible doesn't say he's full of love. It says he is love. And in much the same respect, this is a character trait of who he is. Um, we sometimes in Scripture see God referred to as the God of glory. That's a phrase you'll find through many parts of your Bible, especially the Old Testament. He's called the God of glory. Well, I want to point out that word glory, the God of glory, and the word honor, uh, they're coming from the same word. It's the same Hebrew word, and it's the Hebrew word um, kabed. Now, in the verb form, it's pronounced kabed. In the noun form, it's pronounced kabod, but it's the same word. Now, it, it, here's the definition. It means weight. Uh, something that is weighty, something that is heavy. Now, I'll explain that more later, but here's what's interesting. Okay, we have this one Hebrew word, kabed. In our English Bible, I've so far I've found six different ways that word is translated. Six different English words all trying to translate this Hebrew word. For example, most commonly it's translated as glory and honor. Those are the probably by far the most common ways to translate this word. But there are others. Uh, glorious, abundance, riches, and splendor. All different ways to translate this word. Um, I talked a little bit last week about the presence of God, about the manifest presence of God. And a lot of times the phrase you'll see when we talk about a tangible manifestation of the presence of God, we start talking about the Shekinah glory. Now, full confession, I've heard that phrase for years and years, and I've always heard it pronounced Shekinah. But in recent years, as I've studied more and more of the Hebrew language, I found out that all of their eyes sound like E's. So it's actually Shekinah glory, unless I'm wrong about that too. <laughs> I'm learning Hebrew, but I'm far from a scholar. But when you see the phrase Shekinah glory, it's talking about God's presence manifest in such a way that it's tangible. In some cases, it's even visible to the... They see, you say the naked eye or the natural eye. There, and you see examples of this in the Old Testament where God's presence was so manifest, they could see, they could hear. All right. And that would be the Shekinah glory. 
but it's also that same word, honor. And it's kind of from that that I've made the statement, one of the greatest ways God could honor us is with his presence, with the manifestation of his presence. Um, I'll point out something out real quick, just for context. By definition, God is omnipresent. What's that mean? He's everywhere. He is present everywhere. Um, the psalmist talks about this, and I believe it was David. Call me on it if I got the wrong psalmist, but it's in the Psalms. He says, how could I ever, basically, I'm paraphrasing, get away from you? If I climb the highest mountain, you're there. He says, if I go to the depths of hell, you're there. What's the point? Technically, God is everywhere. He is omnipresent, and that is doctrinally, theologically correct. However, his presence is not equally manifested everywhere. If we were able to go right now to heaven, to the very throne of God himself, and come into the presence of God around the throne, um, it would have, I don't know if words could fully describe what that would be like. Likewise, if we could right now physically go to the pits of hell, I'm guessing the two experiences would be very different, yet God is technically present in both places. So just because he's present in both places does not mean that his presence is being manifested equally in both places. Talk about the two extremes. No manifestation of his presence and a complete unadulterated manifestation of his presence. And technically, there is all points in between. We could have different degrees of his presence being manifested in a church service. Now, he's in every one, but he's more present in some than others. Same with our everyday life. You could have his presence manifest in your home, in the workplace, you understand, in varying degrees. We all just looking at me. This is not just a church thing. God is a life thing. He is about every moment of everything you do your whole life. He's not just waiting for you at church and then says goodbye when you walk out the door, see you again in a week. That's not how God is. All right? It's everything. So one of the greatest ways he could honor us is with his presence. Think of it naturally speaking, and funny that this be my example this morning. What if we had, just as a guest in church this morning, a nationally known politician? And before you try to fill in the blank, pick one you like. <laughs> That could be so extreme. So I'm not going to name one. You pick a maybe a congressman or just a high-ranking politician that you like, all right? And that be the example this morning. What if they decided to show up here on a Sunday morning? I'm going to guess that we would treat them in a certain way, being someone we highly respect. We would be sure to greet them and thank them for coming. We would make sure they had the best seat in the house. We would, in a sense, roll out the red carpet, right? We would make sure that this experience of coming to see us was the best we had to offer. All because why? Not because they brought us something, not because they did anything other than, for some reason, decided to show up at a 
church in a small town in the middle of the corn desert and can I say it this way, grace us with their presence. And just because they're here, we would show them a type of honor. Okay, and that's with, dare I say it, a politician. How much more when God shows up in a church service that we would honor him? Or God shows up in your home, in your car, at work, wherever you might be, that we would honor him. Any manifestation of his presence is him honoring us. Are you with me? And it should be highly esteemed. It's one of the greatest desires of my heart. Now, I will let you know, when God begins to show up places, it draws attention. When God starts showing up in church services, it draws attention. Word starts to travel. God shows up in your workplace, just letting you know, it's going to draw attention. What's one way to explain it? Really, it's Jesus, right? It's Jesus in you, maybe Jesus on you, but Jesus showing up. And what's one thing he did say? He said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself, right? Okay, freely admit, I pulled that verse out of context. It's not a exactly what he was talking about, yet I believe that to be true in this context. When God starts showing up in greater ways in your life, it's going to get people's attention. People are going to start asking you questions. They may just start off with something different about you, (laughs) or maybe something else, who knows? What a wonderful thing that would be. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. But anyway, let's get kind of get back to my point. Um, do we want greater manifestations of His presence in every aspect of our life? And the answer is yes. That's a good thing. Well, then what's the first thing we've seen? What's a huge key? Honor. He said, those who honor me, I will honor. Those who disrespect me, I will disrespect. So I added a word in there. Yes, I freely admit I added a word that wasn't in the original verse. (laughs) Those who honor me more, I will honor more. Because it's variable. It's it's variable. So if we can find ways to honor him more, we open the door for him to honor us more. That's where I'm going. If we want to see a greater move of the Spirit in our lives, then we must learn to reverence him more, more than we have. In the body of Christ today, there's so much irreverence. And and we kind of talked about this last week. Culture in general and church culture right with it, we've seen this trend of just casualizing everything. And we've taken the specialness out of it. Um, The example I used last week, you can see it in our dress code culture. You know... There was a day when to dress up, you put on a suit and tie, and I'm talking about the men, all right? And today, not so much. And now, I brought up this example last week, and if you were paying attention, you watched me dance, because I kind of worked myself into an uncomfortable place, and I was just trying to get out of it. And some of you called me on it this week. I won't name any names, but I got called to task this week. What are you dancing for? Why were you dancing on that? So I'm going to revisit a little bit, because I had to take some time to kind of go, okay, now why, why, why was I dancing? 
I'd look in the mirror a little bit. And uh, part of it was, because it's absolutely true, you've seen the trend. I made the point last week, there used to be suit stores on every corner. And now to buy a suit today, you got to work at it. They're out there, but they're not as easy to find. But part of what was going on in me is I have had an internal conflict on that issue most of my adult life. On that issue, there is a part of me that loves wearing a suit and tie. If you were to look at me in church on a Sunday morning 10 years ago, I was wearing a suit and tie. And happy to do it. Um, look at me today. No suit, no tie. Okay, so what's going on? There is a part of me that would happily go right back to that. I love dressing up. I love suit and ties. I got a collection of sport coats in my closet that my wife keeps looking at going, why are they still there? You never wear them. I'm like, but I love them. I really do. What's What's the rub? There is another part of me that does not want to wear suit and tie. Do you want to know what part of me it really is? The musician part of me. I have spent all of my adult life on a worship team in whatever church I'm going to. Almost every church I've been to, I have played on a worship team. In the moment, I can't think of one I haven't. Even a church I went to for four whole months, somehow I landed on their worship team before I left. And it was a temporary job. I was traveling. I knew I wasn't going to be there long. But they said, go ahead, come anyway. I'm like, okay. I got pictures. <laughs> anyway, what happened? And he's not even here this morning. Um, when I was coming out of high school, I started playing in a, in a garage band. That's If you love music, and that's what you do, right? You start a garage band with your friends. And that's what I did at about 18. I'm playing in a garage band, playing rock and roll with my friends. And my dad was paying attention. And I, I was not playing Christian music, and I wasn't trying to honor God with my gift. I was playing rock and roll. All right? <laughs> this is no shocker to any of you. It was the 80s. Come on! Hair metal. You know. Anyway, so I'm doing it. So all my dad did was he pulled me aside, and he kind of looked at the music. And he wasn't impressed. <laughs> Apparently my dad's not a Bon Jovi fan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Surprise. But anyway, so um, he looked at me and he said, all right, if you can play music in a rock band, you can play on a worship team. Practice is 9 a.m. Sunday morning. Be there. That was the end of the conversation. I've been on a worship team ever since. Rock bands have come and gone. I've been on worship teams my entire adult life because of my dad at 18 years old. There you go. So anyway, back to my point. Why I got to thinking about this. Maybe if you're a singer or a piano player, suits are great. Have fun. But when you start strapping on a guitar, which is a couple of us, or you start beating on a drum kit and working up a sweat, suits aren't fun anymore. (laughs) Ties aren't fun anymore. Right, there, there's just more, go, more to it going on. It is completely 100% natural. I don't know if you've noticed, but pretty much all my life, and this isn't even related to the suits, all of my dress shirts are long sleeve. I like long sleeves. Unless I'm playing guitar. And so what do I do? I roll up my right sleeve above my elbow every time. But not my left sleeve. I don't know if you've ever noticed, I've done it my entire adult life. I don't, no one's ever asked me about it. In all the years, no one's ever asked me about it. But I will roll up my... Why? I like the feel of the guitar on my arm. 
I don't know why. I don't think it's every guitar player. I think it's just me. <laughs> it's a me thing. And it is nothing spiritual. It's just me. But there is a big part of me that plays music and that plays on worship teams that is loving every minute of this. I don't have to wear a suit and tie anymore because it's more comfortable when I'm playing music. But the part of me standing here delivering a message says, man, kind of, kind of miss my suit and tie. We should wear that again. And I got this internal civil war going on. It's been going on for my whole adult life. That's part of that. That's a big part of it is because I'm sitting here last week bringing up we used to wear suits and ties, and I got this one voice going, yeah, you did too, and the other voice going, you should. No, I don't want to. That's a lot of the, there was the circle I put myself in. That was a big part of it. So there you go. Was that important? Not really. Was that spiritual? Not even a little bit, but that's what it is. I'm not really trying to preach on worship teams and what a worship team should wear while they worship God. That's not really my point. Here's what I'll say about suits and ties. Keep in mind, that's culturally defined. To say that putting on a suit and a tie is dressing up, that's defined by culture. And for most part, for the most part, that's Western culture. That's been Europe and America and most Western influences. That's not necessarily the case with a lot of Eastern cultures. There are Eastern cultures that dressing up is not a suit and tie. It's something very different. In fact, in some Eastern cultures, if you show up in a suit and tie, you look odd. You look out of place. It's, is that made, make a suit and tie right or wrong? No, it's cultural. And so if culture changes, fine, culture changes. A suit and tie does not automatically mean you're honoring God. It just means you're following a cultural thing. And our culture is changing. Part of me likes it. Part of me doesn't. But it is what it is. It's just cultural. The good news is that doesn't define whether or not I'm honoring God. And that's really the bigger point I want to make. Honor is an expression of what's on the inside of you. It, it, it comes from the heart. Um, look at what Jesus said in Matthew 15, verse 8. He said, these people draw near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So you can dress the right way. You can say all the right words, and it mean nothing. Honor doesn't come out of that. Honor is of the heart. So in that respect, what if you had someone in church or in, in a place that they didn't have nice clothes because they couldn't afford nice clothes? Maybe they only own half dozen pair of pants and a few shirts, and that's the closet. That's the whole wardrobe. So are they incapable of honoring God? No, heavens no. So what would I suggest to anyone? Just have in some way your good clothes and then have your other clothes. Whatever you have that's the best you have, wear that to church. Wear that to honor God. It's not about what you wear. It's about, I'm just, I'm doing what I can. I'm doing the best I can. I heard a story. Now, I was young, and this, I didn't realize that this story impacted me my whole life. I was talking with a friend of mine, and he, he was older than me, but he grew up in a very poor house. And he said, we didn't have a lot. And he said, now, don't misunderstand. He said, 
we had a roof over our head. We had food on the table. He said, nothing like that. But he said, we didn't have fancy clothes, and there was a lot of stuff we just couldn't afford. And he said, for the most part, I just had a few pair of jeans. And he said, but I had one pair that was special that, uh, that mom would only let me use in certain places. And he said, those were my Sunday jeans. And he said, my mom would treat those jeans like they were the finest pair of linen. And she would take those jeans and she would lay them out on the ironing board. And she would steam iron those jeans to the point that it would put a crease down the front and back of his pants. Because if you remember, I don't know if it's still this way, but I remember this. Good dress pants had a creases in the front and in the back. And you would press them to do that. And that was a sign of, you got nice pants on. And she would do that with his jeans. And I never thought about it. To this day, I fold my jeans so that the crease is on the front and the back. Because of that conversation, it never occurred to me till recently. I, now, don't get me wrong, I do not iron my jeans. <laughs> you can ask my wife, I don't iron nothing. <laughs> you can look at some of my dress shirts and you know, yeah, he don't iron nothing. <laughs> I don't. But I fold my pants a certain way. But the whole idea was, this is the best we have. But when we go to church, we'll put on the best we got. Because we're honoring God. Something she always said, we may be poor, but we don't have to look poor. I like the attitude. I'm not saying you need to be poor. But whatever your best foot is, put it forward. (laughs) You know? I would say this. This is as far out as I'm going to go on the limb. What you wear to church on Sunday morning should probably not be the same thing you wore to do yard work Saturday afternoon. (laughs) Put on something clean and nice. Put your good foot forward and go worship God. So it's not necessarily about what you're wearing. Just wear something nice. Wear what you got. Does that make sense? Okay, honor is from the inside. Honor is an expression of your heart. Um, we did go last week to Romans 13, and I'll remind us of this. In Romans 13, verse 7, um, Paul says, Render therefore to all their due. That word due could also be translated debt. The word means that that you owe. All right? So render therefore to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Customs to whom customs are due. I'm, I'm adding the implied phrase are due. Fear to whom fear is due, honor to whom honor is due. Owe no man anything except to love one another, for he who loves one another, who he who loves another has fulfilled the law. And I'm just making the point, what he's saying is, if you owe something, pay it. If you owe taxes, pay them. If you owe someone respect, pay it. Pay what you owe. You shouldn't be owing anybody anything except to love. So if you owe something, pay it. Uh, I did quote the English Standard Version. It says, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything. Well, pay your debt. Now, the reason I bring that up is that our culture, we, we tend to have a We tend to have a tendency. That seems redundant. We have a tendency to think about respect and honor in the context of who has earned it. 
Well, I will respect them because they have earned my respect. I will honor them because they have earned my honor. And I'm just pointing out, that is the opposite of the way the Bible looks at it. God is not really concerned with whether they've earned it or not. In this context, he didn't even talk about earning it. He looked at the other side. He said, you owe it. And if you owe it, you need to pay it. Doesn't matter if they've earned it. Doesn't matter how you feel about it. We talked about that last week. Um, he compared it to taxes. I have never once felt like paying my taxes. Not one time. But I pay them. Um, if you want to try and call the IRS and tell them you don't feel like paying your taxes, good luck. <laughs> but I don't think it's going to go well. Doesn't matter how I feel about it. Doesn't matter if I think the government deserves my taxes. I got nothing to do with it. If I owe it, I need to pay it. Right. And, and that's the context he put respect and honor in, is if we owe it, we have to pay it. Let me give you some, some, some context for this. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, this is not a new or old covenant deal, this is a God deal. In both covenants, it says, honor your father and mother. Um, I'll give you one verse and show you both. Because I'm going to give you a verse from the New Testament that is Jesus speaking, but he's quoting Moses, who is Old Testament. So I'm getting both of them with one verse. You don't seem impressed. I was kind of happy with that. Anyway, Mark 7, verse 10. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. Now, there's a lot going on in there, but Jesus is quoting the law of Moses. That tells me, number one, every child of God in every or any generation, I don't care how long ago or how long into the future, you have a commandment from God to honor your father and mother. I don't see any exceptions in there. We are commanded to honor our father and mother. So let's put a little skin on that and let's be honest with ourselves. Um, I don't care if your parents were just great parents, the worst parents, or somewhere in the middle had their good days and had their bad days. It, I, I don't care where on the spectrum, there's no such thing as a perfect parent. Right? There's no such thing as perfect people. Yeah. Let's be honest. We were not perfect parents. I hope we did the best we could. I hope we are good, but we're not perfect. So understanding that, then in every situation, there are things that our earthly parents have done that probably were not worthy of much honor and respect. Maybe they made mistakes on accident. Maybe they did things on purpose. Doesn't matter. Nobody's perfect. All right. And so not everything our parents have done seemingly deserves honor and respect. What I don't see in this passage anywhere is an exception. Why is that? Here's the thing to understand, especially with God. It's not so much about who the parent is. With Him, it's more about the position they hold. It's not so much that you're respecting a, a specific person you're respecting the person who you call mother or father. 
you're respecting the position. Think of it this way. If God had wanted you born to a different set of parents, he could have. If he wanted to, he could have had you be born to a completely different set of parents on another part of the country. He could have had you born to a different set of parents that would have changed your skin color. He could have had you born to a different set of parents that were 500 years ago. You could have grown up, I was going to say the Old West. That wasn't 500 years ago. But understand my point. He could have had you born to a set of parents 2,000 years ago. Before electricity. Before smartphones and gaming systems. Before cars. Oh, there's. you could have been born all over the place. You know what I mean by that. That didn't sound right. You could have been born anywhere at any time to whatever parents he wanted to. He chose, for reasons that we may or may not fully understand, to put you in the home that you were, to the parents that you were, in the day and hour that you were. We're even here in this day and this hour, in this generation, because he has a plan. I'm, I'm thinking of Esther. We were born for such a time as this. And it's not by accident. Are you with me? So in that respect, when you honor father and mother, you're honoring the one who put you in that family. You're honoring God who put you where he wanted you. And it's more about that, not about who the actual people were that we call mom and dad. It's about the position. And we owe a debt of honor to the position of mom and dad, regardless of what they did or didn't do, did or didn't say, whether they were great or not so great. You understand what I'm saying? It's the position, and we owe a debt. This principle actually actually applies to every area of our life, but I want to show you an example. Um, John 5, verse 23, again, this is Jesus speaking. Notice what he says. That all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Now, in this context, notice what he did not say. He didn't say anything about honoring the Son because he deserved it. Now, when we put it in the context of Jesus, most of us are thinking, oh, he deserves it. He deserves all the honor. He deserves the highest praise. Why? Because of what he's done for us. And he's done a lot. And he's done wonderful things and good things. And we could name a bunch of them. And we fall right back in that same trap of he's easy to honor because we feel he deserves it. But that's not in here anywhere. Why did he say we honor the Son? Because the Father sent him. We honor Jesus because that's who the Father sent us. And when we honor Jesus, we are honoring the one who sent him. If we dishonor Jesus, what did he say? We are dishonoring the one who sent him. God is huge on delegation. And that's how he's viewing parents. We honor parents because God sent them not because we think they deserve it. Are you following me? Hmm. 
Did you notice? I, I kind of glossed over a part of that verse, and nobody said anything. I, I, I don't know if you're all waiting or the, the exciting tail end of that verse we read a minute ago. Did you notice that? Um, go back and read it again. Matthew 15, verse 4. For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. Did you know that under the law of Moses, Old Covenant, if you disrespected, dishonored your mother or father and you gave them a good cussing, that was a capital offense? Not one teenager shouted amen. Mercy. Put it, I want to put this in God's context. There were certain things. And this is a conversation I've had with other people. You talk about kind of theological conversations you get in. They get asked the question, is all sin the same? And I'm thinking, well, on one hand, yeah, all sin's the same. I don't care if it's a big sin or a little sin. Sin is a sin, and all sin separates you from your father. All sin needs to be dealt with. All sin demands justice, whether it's big or little. So in one respect, yeah, all sin's the same. On the other hand, go back and read the Law of Moses sometime. Not all sin was treated the same. Some sins had a slap-on-the-wrist punishment. Some sins were capital offense, and you lost your life. And I'm thinking, capital offenses under the Old Covenant. Blasphemy was in there. Adultery was in there. And cursing mom and dad. We're all sitting there side by side. Now, you know as well as I do, that would never fly in our culture today. <laughs> Nor am I trying to get capital punishment for disrespectful kids back. That is not my gig. Don't misunderstand me. What's, why am I pointing that out? God has not changed. We have. Culture has. And in the context of honor, we have moved far away. God has not changed. And in His eyes, how you treat mom and dad is a matter of honor, and it's important to Him. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Can I say this? In that culture, in that time, when that happened, you had some child or daughter cursing mom and dad, and it went to the, I don't know, Jewish court. <laughs> I don't know how that worked entirely. And sentence was passed, and punishment was executed. It was righteous. It was morally and legally righteous. It was defined by God. Are you seeing that? I'm going to say again, God has not changed. Culture has. Man has changed. God has not. Now again, not trying to reinstitute anything, but I'm trying to highlight God views some things a little differently than the people around us and a little differently than some of the things we've looked at. And if we want to honor him more, let's figure out how he views honor and let's move closer to him. Here's something you're going to see more of as we go. Your honor for God or your lack of it is revealed greatly 
in how you deal with people. Are you with me? Especially how you deal with the people God sent you. How you manage that. There's no exceptions in that commandment. All right, we're still on the honor of Father Mary thing. Let me, let me try and paint some more of this. We're going to go to uh, Matthew 15. Jesus is having a conversation with some Pharisees on this point. In fact, I think this is where we just were. Matthew 15, 4. For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. Okay, next verse. But you say, he's talking to the Pharisees, Whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he does not need, or he doesn't, yeah, he need not honor his father or mother. Thus, you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition, by your belief. Now, here's what was going on in this day and the hour. Under the old covenant, you were commanded to honor father and mother. Okay. Jesus just reminded them of that. And look at the first example he used. Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift from God. What he's talking about is um, one of the ways you honored father and mother in that day and in that culture was materially, financially. And a very easy to follow, easy to understand way would be As they moved into old age, the children took care of them. Now, this was almost universal from history to not that long ago that families lived as families. And when grandpa and grandma were getting older, they still lived with family. And family took care of them until they went on to be with the Lord. You go back. 100 years, 200 years, 500 years, 3,000 years, there were no nursing homes. There was no assisted living. No, family took care of family. It was a commandment of God. That was one of the ways you honor father and mother is you care for them in their older age. And that included your material, your financial wealth. You took care of mom and dad. It was a way of honoring them. Now, what was going on in this day is they'd come up with a workaround. They found a loophole. Um, the Pharisees of this time period had a, they'd come up with something called Corban. And it's actually a twist on a Greek word, Corbanos, which is talking about a temple treasury. And what the Pharisees had done is they said, all right, they wrote their own rules and they said, any of your financial wealth that you declare Corbin, in other words, what you're saying is, this part of my finances, I'm dedicating to God. And it is a gift to God. Therefore, I can't use that finance to help you, mom and dad. Sorry, I can't help you with your need. Or I can't take care of you because I've dedicated that to God. And so it's his. I can't use it for you. That's what the Pharisees did, and it gave them a loophole to not have to honor father and mother. And he's calling them on the carpet. He says, you, by your own tradition, have made God's word of no effect. You just worked your way around it. (laughs) You know what the next word he used was? You hypocrites. Look at it. Uh, Verse 7, he says... 
hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Let's read this real quick out of the New Living. It puts a nice, easy-to-read spin on it. Go back to verse 4 in the New Living. For instance, God says, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, It's all right for people to say to their parents, Sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you say they don't need to honor their parents. And so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. And for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Are you seeing that? See, a lot of people will try to fake honor. It, it's just words, but it's not from the heart. There's no substance to it. We actually have a word for that in our culture. Flattery. What? Empty words. Kind of trying to puff you up, but we don't really mean it. It's just flattery. Um, I want to give you an example of that. Well, hang on to it. I'll get to it in a minute. Um, my whole point, I'm going to wrap this up this morning because I am about done. Honor is an expression of the heart. It doesn't come from empty words. It doesn't come from external things. It may include external things, but it is sourced in the heart. Go to Matthew 22. Here's, here's my example. It's in here. Verse 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians. And here's what they said to Jesus. Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? It's not just you that doesn't like paying taxes. <laughs> but Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? But did you see how they approached Jesus? Flattery. They said, Teacher. And actually, the word's actually stronger than that. The King James uses the word master. They call him Master, they didn't, they weren't submitted to him on any level. They did not even really consider him a teacher, let alone a master. But that's how they approached him. Oh, master, they said, we know that you are true. You teach the way of God. What you teach is true. You care, um, about, or you don't care about anyone. You don't regard the person. Uh, modern translations are saying, we know you're impartial. We know you don't play favorites. So they're approaching Jesus with empty words. They didn't mean any of them. And he saw right through it. It wasn't honoring on any way. In fact, he called them hypocrites. 
lie. The words did not represent what was on the inside. True honor is of the heart. It's about what you value, what you consider to be precious, what's important to you. Uh, When God is truly important to you, it'll show. It will come out in your words, but not because you're just flattery. It's because, what would Jesus say? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When your heart really does reach an abundance of honoring God and valuing God, your mouth's going to give you away. It's going to come slipping out of your mouth when you least expect it, even if you're trying to keep it in, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Um, Jesus, yeah, when your heart is full of honor, it'll come out in your words. It'll also come out in how you deal with people, in how you speak to them, what you say. It'll come out in what you don't say, how you handle situations. Um, it'll show in what you value, what you choose to praise, what you choose to esteem. What you value on the outside kind of shows everyone what you're valuing on the inside. But I'll close by saying this. Your heart always gives you away because true honor is of the heart. It's an expression of what's really on the inside.